know if you'd agree with me or not, but it seems like this summer the bugs haven't been that bad. Now, I don't personally know. I have this weird thing, and uh, my, my brother and sister have the same thing too. We don't get bitten by mosquitoes. Anybody else have that wonderful blessing? Yeah, a, a few of us. And that's, it's the most bizarre thing. I, I wear no bug spray. And if, if ever a mosquito gets brave enough to, to bite me, um, it doesn't react at all. And uh, so I, they say that mosquitoes are attracted by smell. So I don't know what that says about me and uh, about how, how I smell. But anyhow, um, up north, and the bugs are, are pretty popular. But uh, I just have another question about the up north as we've been talking uh, about this theme this summer. And is we've thrown things out here for many of you who head up north many times in the summer. Here's the question. How many of you, when you head up north, you always go to the same place? How many of you, when you head up north, you try different places and you try to get around? Oh, that's interesting. All right. We're a little bit of both. We like to go to Manistee. We have our place and we come back to it as a family. We enjoy it. But we also like to adventure. So we try to get out and adventure from that place sometimes. Uh, but we also are looking for new adventures. So last summer, not this summer, but last summer, my wife and I went up to, to the Boyne City, Charlevoix, Petoskey area, and we took our bikes, and there's a lot of bike riding up there from Harbor Springs all the way down to Charlevoix. Incredible, actually, a bike trail there. And so we like to get out and ad- adventure a little bit. We haven't gotten everywhere we want to get yet. Like, we haven't been to the east side of the state, uh, Lake Huron, and, and any of those stops along the way there, and we haven't gotten across the bridge yet to the Upper Peninsula. And some of you, I know, when we, when we talk up north, you're kind of like, uh, you know, you're not really talking up north here, Brent. You haven't been to the Upper Peninsula. You have to go across the bridge before you actually get to up north. And so we're thinking of doing that. And uh, so what I'd like to do, though, this morning, though, is I would just like to give those of you a chance who have gone over the bridge and gone to what really is up north, an opportunity to prove your chops here, all right? So I've got eight places to visit up north, and you get a point for every one of these places that you've actually visited, all right? So perfect score is eight. Let's see how many you get here, okay? The first place that you can visit up north, once I turn this on, Pictured Rocks, all right? Have you been to... Picture rocks, okay, you get a point. Picture rocks there, there's one point. Next one, the Quaminan Falls, another point. All right, we got some, some people that are up there. All right, Sulox. Hey, we're doing good. Okay, how about this one? This was actually in that video we just watched there, too. Yeah, how do you say this? Kitchity, kitchity, keepy? Okay, how many of you thought that was a really great thing to see? Oh, okay. It's, it's a, the largest spring in Michigan, and it, and it coughs up like 10,000 gallons of water per minute of ridiculous thing. And you could take this boat on this cable right over top of it and watch it all spew from, from underground there. All right, so here we go. Next one. The Oswald Bear Farm. Oh, look at that. We got some people, yes. And uh, these have been bears that have been rescued from the wild, and you could go see them. All right. How about this one? Uh, let me. I, I'm going to read this one so I get this right. This is the Lakenin Sculpture Park. It's some guy who junk or collects like junkyard stuff and then builds sculptures out of it. 
in an outside of market. Yeah, so I've got a, okay, we've got a few hands. Jim Reamer's been to everything that's weird. Okay, so hey, good for you, Jim. All right, we got two more here. How about this one? Yeah, this is the, let me read this here. This is the Lumberjack Tavern. It's outside of Big Bay, but uh, there was a murder that took place here, and the story of it was turned into a book and actually became a movie in the 1950s that Jimmy Stewart starred in. And you can go to this tavern and see where the actual guy, and this was a true, based on a true story where this guy was actually killed, all right? One more here. The mystery spot, yes. <laughs> you guys are so brave that you raised your hand on that last one, all right? I don't know what that is. I think it's what they call a tourist trap, but uh, good for you. All right, so there was eight points there. Anybody get five of the eight points? Upper Peninsula? Oh, we got some five-pointers. Six? Seven? Eight? All right, so some of you, you've got one more spot that you need to see there. So all the seven-pointers you can meet in the back corner, and we'll pray for you after the service. All right. But when you go someplace new, there's often the element of adventure and excitement, and I'm going to experience something I've never experienced before. So there's that sense of anticipation. But sometimes when we go someplace that's new, there's the element of, uh, of disappointment. You know, like you were really looking forward to this, and you got up there and you went to the mystery spot, and you're like, eh, that wasn't so good. Or maybe you thought it was great. I don't know. And sometimes when we go someplace new, we experience discomfort because it is new, because it is unfamiliar. Because you're not exactly sure what's going to happen, or you're not exactly sure where you're supposed to park, or you're not exactly sure exactly where even where you're going. And there's that element where you are uncomfortable, and when you're stepping into a new experience that's not familiar. And in Jesus' up north experience, we're going to go to a place where I don't know that he felt uncomfortable, but he took his disciples with him, and I think they felt uncomfortable. And by the fact that it's recorded in the Gospels, in Matthew and Mark, those authors actually take us with them. And it's going to be uncomfortable for us as well. And so let me just give you a little warning. As we go up north with Jesus, our experience this morning may be a little discombobulating. It may be a little bit discomforting. Because we're going to go to a place where we are going to feel uncomfortable, at least to start with. And so I encourage you this morning to go to Matthew chapter 15. This is where the story is recorded. And we're going to read that in just a minute. As you're going there, let me just do a quick review of the different places that we visited with our up north journey. We started here just in this region of Galilee and talked about why Jesus came to Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was obviously a key place where a lot of stories took place. And then we have visited uh, Cana, where the wedding took place. Nazareth, where Jesus was rejected, actually where he grew up. Nain, which is where the story, where the widow's son was raised from the dead. We uh, have been up there, Pastor Mark talked a couple weeks about Capernaum, which is really the headquarters of Jesus. Uh, went down to Gadara, where the maniac was there. And then um, last week we were in Bethsaida. You can see where we were last week with a little marker there. And this week, though, we're heading way up here to this area called Tyre. And actually, let me give you a little bit different map here. So this 
lake here is actually, the Sea of Galilee is down in here. And they were in this region of Tyre and Sidon. And Jesus is somewhere up in this area. We're not exactly sure where he is, but that's where the story takes place. So it's like we're going over the bridge. We are going into the upper peninsula, if there were an upper peninsula when Jesus uh, was traveling back in these days. And so we get to Matthew chapter 15, and we read this story. Verse number 23, leaving that place, and that place is down in more of the Galilee region. Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which you can see on the map back there. Now the question is, why did he go there? Well, this was at the end of his ministry, or towards the end of it, and crowds are starting to become a problem. And, and you wouldn't think that crowds would be a problem, but the idea is, is there's a lot of confusion. It's, it's making ministry actually harder by the crowds that keep showing up here. So on one level, he's probably extracting himself from the crowds, but in those crowds, he's pulled in a lot of the opposition as well, and the Pharisees and some of those who stood against him. And so if you look back in the, in the context here, he's going to get away from the crowds. He's actually going to, to get away from the opposition. And when you read what actually Mark says about this story, and let me just insert this here, Mark says it this way, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. And so he's trying to get away from everybody and get maybe a little bit of respite, maybe a chance to catch his breath. And so he's going way north, assuming the crowds are not going to follow him and assuming that he won't be very well known. And so he could finally get out of the public eye. It's almost like a hideout is where he's heading there. And so he gets to this region of Tyre and Sidon. He's trying to keep a secret, and Mark tells us that he couldn't keep his presence a, a secret. And so we read on here. In verse number 22, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him. And the Canaanite woman was, this was the region in the north part of Canaan when the Jews came back in and conquered the promised land. Uh, the people that lived there were Canaanites, and so... Some of them were not driven out of the land. And so this is just a reference to a woman whose family would have gone all the way back for a long time living in this area here. But the big point is that she's not a Jew. She is actually a Gentile. And if you read in the, in the uh, Mark, he really points this out. So this Gentile woman from that vicinity comes to him and she cries out, Lord, son of David... Have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and is suffering terribly. And what I want to do for just a second here is to get you to think about this woman and to try to put yourself into her shoes and into her story. She's got a young daughter who says it's demon-possessed. And it must be a horrible experience, both for this daughter, but also for her mother, and if you're a parent, you've had a kid, you know how much your heart goes out to your child. And to watch your child suffer, have you ever had that experience? Even when your kids are sick sometimes, you're like, I wish I could just trade with them because it'd be so much easier. But she's watched this child of hers suffer, and she's probably tried everything that she could try to get a solution for this child. And then she hears somehow 
that Jesus has come to town. And maybe she didn't even know about Jesus. Maybe she's heard about him. But while she lives way north here, and Jesus was circulating way south of here, even in Galilee, it was way south. And with a child like her child, there was no chance to take the child down there. But she catches when the Jesus is in town, and she, she goes off with this hope that she has is just hanging there by a thread. And she goes off to find Jesus. Because maybe, just maybe, he could do something to help her. But she's got some disadvantages. First of all, she's a woman in a society that, that doesn't elevate women. Secondly, she's a Gentile. Jesus is a Jew. And she actually acknowledges that in her first statement, doesn't she? Uh, you son of David. But she takes this risk. And she puts herself out there. And she tracks down Jesus because he's the one who can help her. And this is where it gets uncomfortable. Because you're not going to like how Jesus responds. She comes and puts it on the line, and it says in verse number 23, Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And if you put that all together, this woman has this incredible need. She comes to Jesus, and she's heard the stories, most likely, of how Jesus has healed all along the way. And she takes this risk, and she says, Jesus, and tells him the story, whatever, and he just ignores her. And so evidently she asks again, and he ignores her. And she asks again, and he ignores her. Finally, the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, uh, why don't you just send her away rather than just ignoring her? And then Jesus ignores them too. But she keeps asking. And Jesus finally responds. And he says this, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Or in other words, uh, you're a Gentile, I'm a Jew. I came for the Jews, not for the Gentiles. Sorry. So, you know, she could go away because he didn't really give her a good word there. Not a whole lot of encouragement, in fact. And so what does she do? She comes and she kneels before him, verse 25, and she says, Lord, help me. And you would think that Jesus would be like, okay. But listen to what he says. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And so here's this woman that has this unbelievable need. She comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, uh, you're a Gentile, we don't really do much for the dogs like you. And I don't know about you, but that makes me really uncomfortable in this story. But Mark includes something in his version of this. In Mark chapter 7, he said it this way. Jesus replied, first let the children eat all they want. For it is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to the dogs. And in that verse right there, Mark seven twenty-seven, Jesus actually throws her a small scrap of hope. 
He says, first, let the children eat all they want. Because when there's a first, there's a second. And I think that registered with this woman, if I can be patient. And that was, of course, a foreshadowing of the fact that Jesus was coming first to the Jews, but that the message would go to the Gentiles. But then he said, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. He actually used a different Greek word there than what you might realize. He's not talking about the dogs who would be roaming the streets and scavenging through the, through the garbage. He's actually talking about the puppies or the pets. And when he says dogs here, it's not so much an insult as he's saying, you know what? Even the pets get fed, don't they? And in that statement, she sees her opportunity. First implies second, puppies or pets, they get fed. And I love this woman and her faith, and here's what she says. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In other words, she's saying, I accept your terms. You can call me a dog. You can put me up. You can do anything. But the dogs get crumbs, and that's what you said, and I'll take a crumb right now, and that crumb is my daughter. And Jesus says to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Now maybe that story leaves you scratching your head a little bit. It does me. I've read it many times this week and went, huh, huh. Like, it doesn't really seem like it works like it's supposed to work. You know, like kind, compassionate Jesus, this woman comes... It should be, I'm so glad you came. What can I do to help you? So what's going on in this story? And I think the answer is actually found in that last statement. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And what Jesus tells us in that statement right there is that faith has measure or quantity. There's small faith, there's maybe medium faith, there's bigger faith, there's great faith, but faith can get bigger and faith can grow. It's not a set quantity. It's not that you get faith and that's all you get. It's that you get faith, but that faith can keep getting bigger and can keep getting bigger and can keep growing and keep growing. And in a microcosm here, we see the growth of faith in this woman. And in this story, we see the possibility for growth of faith in our own stories. So we look at this story, and what Jesus is saying is, however, wherever you've been to faith, if we call it a destination, you've been to faith, but there's a lot more of faith to be explored There's a lot more of faith to be experienced. There's a lot more of faith to be discovered. And so the obvious from this story is that the gospel is for the Gentiles. And it's a big step for the disciples as they have to realize this. That Jesus really specifically says, I'm going to do this for a Gentile person. And they had to wrestle with it. And actually, in this story, Jesus 
teaches us that the gospel should trump nationalism. They were all Jews, but Jesus says, we're Jews, she's a Gentile, I don't care. It really doesn't matter. And that's a good reminder for us as well, too. When we talk about kingdom stuff, we're talking about stuff that's way bigger than national stuff. Way bigger than the kingdom of this world stuff. And we have to get a a global, universal, gospel perspective that says, you know what, we're people first. And God loves all people. Jesus came for all people. But then finally, he wants us to stretch and to grow our faith. And that's really where I want to focus this morning. How does faith grow in your life? How do you get more faith? Because I think this story gives us an idea of what's at play here. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been where this woman was? Where you have this huge need? Or we're trying to figure out the answer to a big decision? Or, or where you're facing something and you're going to need some help? And so you come to God for help and you get the silent treatment. You pray and nothing happens. You have this big decision to make, so you open up your Bible, and it's like, okay, God, show me what I'm supposed to do here. And he's silent. You try to take a difficult faith step because you're not quite sure what to do, but you're like, well, I'm going to do this here. And you take that faith step, and it doesn't work out. Or even worse, sometimes it seems to blow up in your face. The chances are that you've been in that situation where you desperately needed to hear from God and it's just crickets. And you're like, I don't get this. I'm asking, I'm praying, I'm looking, I'm seeking, I'm wanting, I desperately need this. You hear nothing except the silence of God. And the silence of God is a horrible thing to experience if you've experienced it. I have a hearing problem that I've told you all about. And when it first happened, it happened suddenly. I I lost half the hearing in in one ear in 48 hours. But I had just been hiking in the the Appalachian uh, Smoky Mountains, and I just assumed that my ears were still plugged. And so when I came home, and I was like, I can't get this ear to clear out, and finally went to the doctor and said, my ear's plugged. And, and uh, he not very kindly said, no, your ear's not plugged, you're deaf in that ear. You've lost earring. And I was like, well, you know, your bedside manner was great there. but uh, um, So I had this big debate. I'm like, no, 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 it's just plugged. And they're like, no, it's not plugged. But to, I say that, and I share that, because it was the weirdest experience, because where I used to hear something, There was nothing. And I think sometimes we even get that in our own faith stories where we used to hear something, and it's like, what happened? There there used to be this God voice right here, and it's not here right now. Well, here's the answer to this question and to this issue. The fact that Jesus isn't responding doesn't mean that he's not listening. 
And silence is likely to be a part of our faith experience. And as much as I don't like that, there are times when God goes silent because he wants me to have great faith. And it drives us crazy because it's like, oh, God just abandoned me. And God's like, I haven't abandoned you. Or it's like God stepped out of the room. He's like, I haven't stepped out of the room. God's not listening. Oh, he's hearing every single word, every single prayer, every single cry. He's not responding because he wants to take us further in our faith. See, I think it would be easier if when I came to God and said, I really need this, he's like, oh, well, here. And I'm like, oh, that, that encouraged me, so now I'm going to have more faith. So then I can ask for a bigger thing. And he's like, well, here. And I'm like, oh, I'm really emboldened now. I'm going to go over, I'm going to ask for an even bigger thing. He's like, and we're going to grow our faith that way. And sometimes God does that. But an awful lot of time, the way that God grows our faith is we ask for something big here. And he doesn't respond. And so we ask again, and he doesn't respond. And we ask again, and he doesn't respond. Finally, the disciples are like, why don't you tell her to leave? But what do we do in these situations when we're dealing with silence, where we can't find God, or where it's like, what's going on in our story? We do what this woman did. You just keep asking. Because... Faith is as much about the asking as it is about the believing. And I think sometimes we get this false idea that faith is where I conjure up this, this increasingly vibrant belief that yes, it will. A, a confidence. And I'm not exactly sure that that's what it means to have more faith. I think sometimes it's just hanging in there. And it's just believing maybe God will or maybe God won't, but I believe that God can. And as long as I believe that God can, I'm going to ask. And if he doesn't respond, I'm going to ask again. And if he doesn't respond, I'm going to ask again. Because faith is found in our continually going to God. It's refusing to go anywhere else except to God. It's hanging in there when you want to give up. But it's in the asking. Because here's what's going on. Delays and denials are not meant to discourage your faith, but to develop it. And it's often resistance that builds our faith. We get that when we go to the gym to work out, right? If we're going to get stronger, we throw weights on the bar. And then when we master that, we throw more weights on the bar. When we master that, we throw more weights on the bar. And oftentimes, this is what God does with our faith, is we come and we pray, and He does an answer, but we refuse to give up. And we refuse to give in, and He's like, okay, that's good. You've taken a step. Now we're going to put some more weights on the bar. And this time we're like, okay, well now he answered, and he doesn't respond. And he puts more weights on the bar. And actually, one of the ways that God builds our faith is through delay, and sometimes even through denial. Now that is not fun to me. 
And if you're living that right now, you're not in a fun place, and I get that. And that's what was going on in hyperspeed in this story that we're looking at, where she keeps asking, and Jesus says, no. And she keeps asking, and Jesus says, no. And she keeps asking, but as she asks, that faith grows, because it's like, it's got to be him. Because if it's not him, I got nothing. And good things often happen, especially in reference to our faith, when we come to these places of discomfort, where it's not going like we think it should go. Now here's what happens to us, and this is a caution, I think. Sometimes when we get into these seasons where there's silence, or where there's disappointment, or there's denial, or delay, or whatever it happens to be, we assume it's because we're not worthy. All right, I must be doing it wrong. All right, I mean, God must not really be paying attention, or maybe he doesn't think I deserve this. What did Jesus say in the story? Um, I came to the lost sheep of Israel. What did Jesus say in the story? Um, we don't really give the, you know, the, the food for the children to the dogs. And it's seemingly insulting. But at the end of the day, what does this woman grab onto? She grabs onto this idea that it's not about the children or about the dogs. It's about the master. And he feeds his household. Whether they be kids or whether they be puppies, they all get fed. And that's an encouragement to us because God doesn't respond to us based on who we are. He responds to us based on who he is. And that's what grace is all about. And in your situation where you might say, well, obviously he's not going to do anything because I'm unworthy. Exactly. We all are unworthy. But we have a God who cares about the puppies. We have a God who cares about the Gentiles. We have Jesus who walks out of the place of comfort into a world of discomfort because he cares about the undeserving. And even in the silence this morning, can I encourage you with this? That our hope rests in God's grace and not in our worthiness or our unworthiness. And you can keep asking and you can keep hoping, not because you deserve it, but because he is good. Let me just throw a couple other observations out here and then finish up this morning with a a summary of what's been going on in the story. What seems to be a huge need to you may only be a crumb to Jesus. A huge need. I have this demon-possessed child. What could be bigger than that? Jesus says, well, I don't know, but you can have this crumb and there'll be more than enough for what you need. And let me just share that Because sometimes we feel like the situation that we're in is maybe God's not responding because it's like too big. Never the case. Nothing's ever too big for God. In fact, let me just remind you of this, that even while he pushes us out of our comfort zones, and even though we land in areas that are not familiar territory to us, he still has jurisdiction. It's interesting in this story, he never met the daughter, did he? She's healed. Because he had jurisdiction, wherever that daughter was, he had jurisdiction in that story. And wherever you are this morning, be reminded of that. He's still in control. 
He's still in familiar territory for him. Here's another just simple idea that comes from this story too. Faith seems to be transferable. The daughter was healed because of the mother's faith. And we know this on some level because we pray for other people, right? But God responds in some people's lives because of the prayers and the requests that are made in other people's lives. And I just share that this morning as an example. Don't ever stop praying for somebody because your prayers do matter to them. And in this case, it was the prayer of a parent. It might be a prayer of a, of a mate. It might be a prayer of a friend. But faith is somehow transferable and it all kind of fits together somehow. But I would say this then too. When you run out of faith or when your faith gets small, find somebody else to give your faith a boost and to share some of theirs. And I think one of the Best things you can do is say, hey, would you pray for me? Because it's silent for me. For me, you can pray, and maybe that would help. See, we have to get to the place, and this is the ultimate goal of this story, but this is the ultimate goal, I think, also of our faith walk and our journey in following Christ, is we have to get to the place where we value trust over understanding. Because everything in this story, to me, says, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Jesus, you just ignored her. That doesn't make any sense. Jesus, you kind of blew her off there with that line about the lost sheep. That doesn't, okay. You, you, you talk about that. That doesn't make any sense to me. And yet that woman wouldn't give up. Because what would have made sense to me is she would have said, well, I don't even know why I bothered to ask. But she won't go there. And sometimes in our stories, what we see and what looks like is happening to us and what appears and where we think things are going and how we can project things, it doesn't look like it's working out. And so we want to abandon trust. And the truth of this story here is in the silence, in the disconnect, in the discomfort. Hang in there. Because even though you don't understand, you can still trust. And in this story, there's a lot that doesn't make sense to us, at least not at first. But Jesus is up to something. And in your story, wherever you are this morning, he's up to something. That's just the promise. And that's just the way that it is. And maybe if you're not hearing that in your heart, in your mind, in your ears, you can hear it from me. He's up to something. And the fact that it's silent now doesn't mean it's going to be silent forever. And the fact that it's silent now actually means that he's working on your faith and making it bigger. And where we want to resist and run and bail, I think Jesus is saying, hang in there. Because in this process, I'm making your faith way bigger if it could ever be otherwise. Just don't give up. So where are you struggling this morning with the silence or the inactivity or the seeming indifference of Jesus? Let me assure you of this. He hears you. He's up to something in your story. And the whole reason he went to Tyre and Sidon was actually for you. To say that he goes looking for people who are struggling. 
How do we respond? With humility and accepting what he decides? With insight and recognizing what's going on? In persistence by refusing to give up? And even in confidence that we've come to the right person who can do something about our story. And so Jesus went up north across the bridge to teach us something that he couldn't have or maybe wouldn't have taught in any other way. But that's he is a God who hears and responds. But he's also a God who builds our faith.